0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for again welcoming us into your home. We are continuing on our series, I Used to Think, But Now I Know. And our quote this week is I used to think I had to be special for God to use me. Now I know I just have to say yes. This is found in Bob Goff's book, Love Does. The story that I want to talk about today is the story of Moses and his call in the wilderness. Perhaps it's a familiar story to you, but I want to read it from Exodus chapter 3. And I'll jump around a little bit as it's a long story. And I just want to give you the highlights of the story. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 3 says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. The mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up." Now when he goes to the bush, the Lord begins to speak to him, and uh, he asks him to deliver the Israelites From the Egyptians and uh, he asked Moses to be his spokesperson and to do that deliverance and of course Moses has these objections so we jump down to chapter 3 in Exodus verse 11 and 12 but Moses said to God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt and God said I will be with you and then jump down to verse 13 and 14 Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Then down to Exodus 4, verses 1 and 2. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then the Lord showed Moses a number of miracles that he could do and would do if Moses would believe him and follow him and become his representative in delivering the children of Israel from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And then in chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Let's pray. So Father, thank you for this story of Moses and his call. Uh, Thank you, Lord, even for his reluctance, because it teaches us about sometimes our reluctance to follow you and say yes, when in fact the challenges that we see before us may be, in our minds, insurmountable. So Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look at this text, as we study your word and speak into our lives, and help us to be willing to say yes when you ask us to follow you in your name we pray amen so in our story we discover that moses is very reluctant to believe and obey god remember moses was that kid who was put uh, in a basket in the bulrushes to be saved from the uh, purge that the egyptians were doing to try to reduce the population of the israelites in egypt and He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the palace and and had all of the uh, uh, privileges of being an adopted son or grandson of the Pharaoh. And when Moses had turned 40 years of age, he had uh, uh, a problem in that he uh, killed an Egyptian who was uh, troubling or bothering or beating one of his Hebrew slaves, a, a fellow Hebrew to Moses and uh, then he ran off uh, and was serving in uh, his father-in-law's farm as a shepherd. So we find that when the Lord approaches Moses—now he's been 40 years, he's 80 years of age, he's been 40 years as a shepherd—Moses uh, is very reluctant, he, and he has several objections to why the Lord should choose something else. And in summary, his objections are, Who am I? That's chapter 3, verse 11. His second objection is, who are you? That's verse 13. His third objection is, what if they, by they he means the elders or Pharaoh, don't believe me? That's chapter 4, verse 1. And then his last objection is found in chapter 4, verse 10, and that was, I'm slow of speech. I'm not a good talker. Uh, You've got the wrong guy. So it seems as if Moses's concerns come from three doubts that are that are troubling him as he contemplates this mission that God has called him to, him to do. His first doubt is regarding his past failures. You see, he had killed an Egyptian who is mistreating a Hebrew slave. That's in chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. And word had spread about that. And now Pharaoh was hunting for him, and he fled to Midian. Now, the fact that Pharaoh was hunting for him, even though he was an adopted grandson of Pharaoh, gives some indication that there must have been some falling out between Pharaoh and the uh, Moses. Because normally you would think that a grandson of Pharaoh could get away with just about anything. Uh, and the fact that he's fallen out of favor with Pharaoh perhaps means that perhaps Moses has been Uh, doing some other things, perhaps uh, because of his identification with the other Hebrews, that he's fallen out of favor with Pharaoh. And so he's running for his life, and he hides in Midian and becomes a shepherd. Now, he's looking after his father-in-law's sheep. This is an itinerant and a solitary kind of profession. Uh, It was seasonal. Uh, The sheep were in different pastures at different times of the year. It was not very social. He would have some conversation with... uh, uh, other shepherds, and, uh, but mostly his conversation with we be with sheep, but it was very uh, isolated. And uh, uh, probably Moses wasn't that familiar or used to uh, social etiquette and those kinds of things, or even uh, practiced in his uh, conversations with people because of the kind of lifestyle that shepherds lived. Um, the shepherding lifestyle is not a natural prequel to a heroic leadership of a nation. And uh, that's something I'm sure that's on, in Moses' head as he's thinking about God calling him to this huge role as a deliverer. Uh, remember that King David was also a shepherd before he became uh, the greatest king that Israel ever saw. And uh, this was going to come much later in the, the life of Israel. And remember that Jesus also is perceived in, with this shepherding image. Jesus is seen as the good shepherd of his sheep. So David and Goliath and Jesus and, and what he did really helped to reinterpret the whole idea of the role of shepherd. While uh, the shepherds would tend to be looked down on because of their, perhaps, their social status, because of their itinerant and isolated kind of uh, rural work, uh, Jesus kind of reinterprets the image, and shepherds are looked at as being kind and loving and, and uh, going out of their way. And so this becomes a great image for us to understand that uh, the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not be in want. So it's possible for images uh, in the culture to change over over certain uh, groups of people and how they're perceived. We think of that in terms of geeks today. Uh, it used to be thought that geeks were just kind of strange people, but now geeks are some of the most valued employees in companies, because unless you have a really good geek who's really good at technology, uh, you often have a lot of struggles regarding your computer equipment and technology. And so just as geeks have trans- has transformed the image of, of what it means to be a valuable employee, So Jesus has transformed the image of what it means to be a shepherd, as now we perceive of shepherds as being kind and loving and caring and a valuable part of the biblical story. So Moses' second objection is a kind of doubt that comes from his present resources. He says, who are you? And he also says, who am I? To, the, to do this. He, he's thinking this. He's thinking, you know, this is going to be an epic struggle. I know enough about Pharaoh. I know about enough about Pallas and the way Pharaoh perceives, perceives himself. And it's like I'm going into a gun battle with a pea shooter. Uh, Pharaoh thinks he's God. And who am I to go and confront him and try to get the people, the children of Israel, released? The odds are not in my favor. In other words, uh, this is a huge task you're calling me to. And then the Lord responds with a series of miraculous proofs that he is Yahweh, that he is the I am, that he is God of of creation. He says, first of all, in verse 12, I will be with you. And then he turns his staff into a snake and then back into a staff again. He turns Moses's hands leprous and then he heals it. And uh, Moses takes water from the Nile and drops on the ground and it turns to blood. So uh, God, Yahweh, is proving that he is Lord of the animal, the human, and the physical realms. You see, God is, he's the Lord of the universe. It's possible for him to do anything. What greater proof could Moses need than that he was going to be his resource? You know, um, often we talk about getting our ducks in a row before we begin a task, In actual fact, it is extremely difficult to have your ducks in a row before you begin a task because those ducks, they move. Those little fellows will wander all over the place. And if you're waiting to get your ducks in a row before you begin a task, you'll probably wait forever. Instead, the Lord is saying, I'm with you. I'll go with you you're not going to have everything you need before you start. You're going to have to trust me. And in most of the projects God calls us to, he doesn't prepare beforehand all of the resources for us, all of the stuff that we need before we actually begin. Those come as we follow him faithfully. Moses's third concern comes from his human limitation. He says, I am slow of speech and tongue in verse 10 of chapter 4. Well, maybe he stuttered something that was the problem, or, or, or maybe he just spent too much time talking to sheep. He just wasn't used to talking to people, and he wasn't very verbose. He wasn't very articulate. Uh, his brother Aaron is then named to be a spokesperson. You see, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things all the time. Just think of the Bible heroes, and uh, none of them were much until God used them. And then in their usefulness, God prepares them, he equips them, he enables them, and he uses them for his glory. So we learn from the story of Moses that we we tend to say no to the Lord when we focus on our past failures. Instead of allowing them to inform us, we allow our past failures to scare us into starting something new. Our past failures should inform us. We should be thinking of our past failures and and saying to ourselves, what did we learn about that? Well, maybe that wasn't a good way to go about it. Maybe next time I encounter those kinds of difficulties and challenges, I'm going to take a different approach. We say no to the Lord when we focus on our limited resources. Instead of relying on the Lord's provision, we think that we have to have it all together, our ducks in a row before we start. When in actual fact, the Lord often calls us before we have all of the resources to accomplish the task. We also tend to say no to the Lord when we focus on our human limitations. Well, who am I? Who are you? Uh, How can I possibly do this? Instead of trusting in a very big God who has all the resources and has no limitations. So just say yes to God. It's better to err on the side of being overzealous than to be comatose. You know what I mean by that? I I would rather err on the side of of having to say, oh, slow down, than to try to get someone to stand. I'd rather work with someone who you have to constantly be saying, whoa, slow down, than to someone you have to say constantly, giddy up, giddy up, get moving. Uh, We should err if we err on the side of being overzealous for God rather than being comatose. We learn best in on-the-job training. And Moses is going to learn to follow God as he experiences God's provision and God's lessons on this journey to deliver Israel. And it's the same in our own lives. We learn best, not in the classroom, but on the job. And God is going to instruct us, teach us, inform us about how to live and how to do what he's asked us to do while we're in the midst of our task. After all, lock, locker room coaching isn't that effective. It has limitations. It's coaching on the field. It's during the play of the game that's really effective in helping us learn how to follow the Lord. And so uh, the locker room is important, and church services, or perhaps what we're doing right now, is more like a locker room than in-game training. And uh, this is an, uh, an important opportunity to learn, to understand, to, uh, under, to put in our hearts some principles and, and keep in mind some things, but in actual fact, most of our learning will be actually done in the field, uh, in the battle, in the midst of the opportunities God gives us. You see, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I love that quote. I don't know who first said that, but uh, he qualifies the those who are called. He, you're not going to have everything together uh, in order to do the job. You're not going to have uh, all of the provision, nor will you learn all the lessons before you begin the task. He teaches us en route. We learn as we journey with Him. You know what? We are called to be faithful, not successful. Now, I, I take great hope in that, in that that when we take on challenges, I'm thinking. You know, I'm not sure whether this is going to be successful. That's God's job to look after the success. My job is simply to follow Him and to be faithful to what He asks me to do. I'll leave the results up to Him. So just say yes. There's an opportunity waiting for you. God's calling you to something, somewhere. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's something the Lord is asking you to do. Say yes. Follow him, he'll look after the results. Let's pray. So, thank you, Father, that you're involved in every aspect of our lives and that you call us and you give us opportunities to serve you. It could be in our workplace, it could be in our schools. It could be uh, starting a life group or be involved in children's ministry. It could be at work just taking on a project where, as a follower of Jesus, we're going to demonstrate what it means to follow you and and just love on people and do the very best job we can. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to say yes to opportunities and not to allow our doubts to interfere, our, our fear of failure perhaps or our fear of lack of resources or our or our concerns about our limited human resources. Lord, I pray that we would say yes. I pray that we would respond in obedience to you. And we thank you that you're always faithful to teach us, to help us to grow, and that you're the ones who are responsible, that that is responsible for the success. We're just responsible to be faithful. We thank you, Lord. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that you call us. Thank you that you've chosen us. Thank you that you enable us. In your name, amen. The question of the day is this. Is there an opportunity in your life that you are saying no to because of doubt in God's faithfulness? We'll give you a minute or so to contemplate, pray over that question. Music will play in the background. And then I'll come back with a concluding comment. Richard Branson, who is the founder of the Virgin Group, Virgin Air, Virgin Records, etc., says it is so important to say yes, even in business. He says that saying yes opens up new challenges and opportunities. So if you're always saying no, you'll never learn new things, you'll never really grow, you'll never really experience the newness that comes from taking on projects that are new and exciting. He also says that saying yes invites collaboration. When you say yes, Uh, to something that perhaps uh, you're not completely prepared to do, something that perhaps you're going to need some uh, resources for, then it will force you into collaborating with others, and that's important. He also says that saying yes empowers and infirms others. When people say yes to us, it means they value our ideas, and when we say yes to people, it helps them to feel as if they're worthwhile, as if uh, they're part of the uh, enterprise is uh, an important contribution. And so when we say yes, we empower and we affirm others. He also says that yes creates an environment where it's safe to try and to fail and to learn and to innovate. And this is very similar to the story of Moses and what we're learning from the principles of uh, Moses's doubts when he uh, is confronted and asked by the Lord to deliver the children of Israel. Uh, Branson goes on to say that saying yes just makes life more fun. Yeah, Consider how saying yes can bring you new sources of joy. Uh, Life is a lot more fun when we say yes. It's amazing how one little word can lead you into an incredible adventure. Well, uh, I pray that the Lord would lead you into new adventures as you say yes to things that perhaps you're a little fearful of, or perhaps are a little bit uh, beyond you, uh, as you trust the Lord and his leading in your life. Our doxology, of course, comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.